Chapter Twenty Seven, Part One of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed, or E Promesi Sposi, by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Twenty Seven, Part One it has already occurred to us more than once to make mention of the war which was at this time raging for the succession of the states of the duke vicenzo gonzaga the second of that name but it has always occurred in a moment of great haste so that we have never been able to give more than a cursory hint of it now however for the due understanding of our narrative a more particular notice of it is required they are matters which any one who knows anything of history must be acquainted with but as from a just estimate of ourselves we must suppose that this work can be read by none but the ignorant it will not be amiss that we should here relate as much as will suffice to give some idea of them to those who need it we have said that on the death of this duke the first in the line of succession, Carlo Gonzaga, head of a younger branch now established in France, where he possessed the duchies of Nevers and Rethel, had entered upon the possession of Mantua, and we now add of Montferrat, for our haste made us leave this name on the point of the pen. The Spanish minister, who was resolved to any compromise, we have said this too to exclude the new prince from these two fiefs and who to exclude him wanted some pretext because wars made without any pretext would be unjust had declared himself the upholder of the claims which another gonzaga ferrante prince of the guastala pretended to have upon mantua and carlo emmanuel i duke of savoy and Margarita Gonzaga, Dowager Duchess of Lorraine, upon Montferrat. Don Gonzalo, who was of the family of the great commander, and bore his name, who had already made war in Flanders, and was extremely anxious to bring one into Italy, was perhaps the person who made most stir that this might be undertaken. And in the meanwhile, interpreting the intentions, and anticipating the orders of the above-named minister, he concluded a treaty with the Duke of Savory for the invasion and partition of Montferrat, and afterwards readily obtained a ratification of it from the Count Duke, by persuading him that the acquisition of Casale would be very easy, which was the most strongly defended point of the portion assigned to the King of Spain. He protested, however, in the king's name against any intention of occupying the country further than under the name of a deposit until the sentence of the emperor should be declared, who, partly from the influence of others, partly from private motives of his own, had in the meanwhile denied the investiture to the new duke and intimated to him that he should give up to him a sequestration of the controverted states afterwards having heard the different sides 
he would restore them to him who had the best claim to these conditions the duke of nevers would not consent he had however friends of some eminence in the cardinal de richelieu the venetian nobleman and the pope but the first of these at that time engaged in the siege of la rochelle and in a war with england and thwarted by the party of the queen mother maria de medici who for certain reasons of her own was opposed to the house of nevers could give nothing but hopes the venetians would not stir nor even declare themselves in his favour unless a french army were first brought into italy and while secretly aiding the duke as they best could they contented themselves with putting off the court of madrid and the governor of milan with protests propositions and peaceable or threatening admonitions according to circumstances urban the eighth recommended nevers to his friends interceded in his favour with his enemies and designed projects of accommodation but would not hear a word of sending men into the field by this means the two confederates for offensive measures were enabled the more securely to begin their concerted operations carlo emmanuel invaded montferrat from his side don gonzalo willingly laid siege to casale but did not find in the undertaking all the satisfaction he had promised himself for it must not be imagined that war is a rose without a thorn the court did not provide him with nearly all the means he demanded his ally on the contrary assisted him too much that is to say after having taken his own portion he went on to take that which was assigned to the king of spain don gonzalo was enraged beyond expression but fearing that if he made any noise about it this duke as active in intrigues and fickle in treaty as bold and valiant in arms would revolt to the french he was obliged to shut his eyes to it gnaw the bit put on a satisfied air the siege besides went on badly being protracted to a great length and sometimes thrown back owing to the steady cautious and resolute behaviour of the besieged the lack of sufficient numbers on the part of the besiegers and according to the report of some historian the many false steps taken by don gonzalo on which point we leave truth to choose her own side being inclined even as it were really so to consider it a very happy circumstance if it were the cause that in this enterprise there were some fewer than usual slain beheaded or wounded and cataris paribus rather fewer tiles injured in casala in the midst of these perplexities the news of the sedition at milan arrived to the scene of which he repaired in person here in the report which was given him mention was also made of the rebellious and clamorous flight of renzo and of the real or supposed doings which had been the occasion of his arrest and they could also inform him that this person had taken refuge in the territory of bergamo this circumstance arrested don gonzalo's attention he had been informed from another quarter 
that great interest had been felt at venice in the insurrection at milan that they had supposed he would be obliged on this account to abandon the siege of casala and that they imagined he was reduced to great despondency and perplexity about it the more so as shortly after this event the tidings had arrived so much desired by these noblemen and dreaded by himself of the surrender of la rochelle feeling considerably annoyed both as a man and a politician that they should entertain such an opinion of his proceedings he sought every opportunity of undeceiving them and persuading them by induction that he had lost none of his former boldness for to say explicitly i have no fear is just to say nothing one good plan is to show displeasure to complain and to expostulate accordingly the venetian ambassador having waited upon him to pay his respects and at the same time to read in his countenance and behaviour how he felt within don gonzalo after having spoken lightly of the tumult like a man who had already provided a remedy for everything made those complaints about renzo which the reader already knows as he is also acquainted with what resulted from them in consequence from that time he took no further interest in an affair of so little importance which as far as he was concerned was terminated and when a long time afterwards the reply came to him at the camp of casale whither he had returned and where he had very difficult things to occupy his mind he raised and threw back his head like a silkworm searching for a leaf reflected for a moment to recall more clearly to his memory a fact of which he had only retained a shadowy idea remembered the circumstances had a vague momentary recollection of the person passed on to something else and thought no more about it but renzo who from the little which he had darkly comprehended was far from supposing so benevolent an indifference had for a time no other thought or rather to speak more correctly no other care than to keep himself concealed it may be imagined whether he did not ardently long to send news of himself to the women and receive some from them in exchange but there were two great difficulties in the way one was that he also would have been forced to trust to an amanuensis for the poor fellow knew not how to write nor even read in the broad sense of the word and if when asked the question as the reader may perhaps remember by the doctor arzenka garbugli he replied in the affirmative it was not certainly a boast a mere bravado as they say it was the truth that he could manage to read print when he could take his time over it writing however was a different thing he would be obliged then to make a third party the depository of his affairs and of a secret so jealously guarded and it was not easy in those times to find a man who could use his pen and in whom confidence could be placed particularly in a country where he had no old acquaintances the other difficulty was to find a bearer a man who was going just to the place he wanted who would take charge of the letter 
and really recollect to deliver it. All these, too, qualifications rather difficult to be met within one individual. At length, by dint of searching and sounding, he found somebody to write for him. But, ignorant where the women were, or whether they were still at Monza, he judged it better to enclose the letter directed to Agnese under cover to Father Cristoforo, with a line or two also for him. The writer undertook the charge, moreover, of forwarding the packet, and delivered it to one who would pass not far from Pescarenico. This person left it with many strict charges at an inn on the road, at the nearest point to the monastery, and, as it was directed to a convent, it reached this destination. But what became of it afterwards was never known. Renzo, receiving no reply, sent off a second letter, nearly like the first, which he enclosed in another to an acquaintance or distant relation of his at Lecco. He sought for another bearer, and found one. This time the letter reached the person to whom it was addressed. Agnese, posted off to Magianico, had it read and interpreted to her by her cousin Alessio, concerted with him a reply, which he put down in writing for her, and found means of sending it to Antonio Rivolta in his present place of abode. All this, however, not quite so expeditiously as we have recounted it. Renzo received the reply, and in time sent an answer to it. In short, a correspondence was set on foot between the two parties, neither frequent nor regular, but still kept up by starts and at intervals. To form some idea, however, of this correspondence, it is necessary to know a little how such things went on in those days, indeed, how they go on now, for in this particular, I believe, there is little or no variation. The peasant who knows not how to write, and finds himself reduced to the necessity of communicating his ideas to the absent, has recourse to one who understands the art, taking him, as far as he can, from among those of his own rank. For, with others, he is either shamefaced or afraid to trust them. He informs them, with more or less order and perspicuity, of past events, and in the same manner describes to him the thoughts he is to express. The man of letters understands part, misunderstands part, gives a little advice, proposes some variation, says, leave it to me, then he takes the pen, transfers the idea he has received, as best he can, from speaking to writing, corrects it in his own way, improves it, puts in flourishes, abbreviates, or even omits, according as he deems most suitable for his subject. For so it is, and there is no help for it, he who knows more than his neighbours will not be a passive instrument in their hands. And when he interferes in other people's affairs, he will force them to do things his own way. In addition to all this, it is not always quite a matter of course 
that the above-named literate himself expresses all that he intended nay sometimes it happens just the reverse as indeed it does even to us who write for the press when the letter thus completed reaches the hands of the correspondent who is equally unpractised in his a b c he takes it to another learned genius of that tribe who reads and expounds it to him questions arise on the matter of understanding it because the person interested presuming upon his acquaintance with the antecedent circumstances asserts that certain words mean such and such a thing the reader resting upon his greater experience in the art of composition affirms that they mean another at last the one who does not know is obliged to put himself into the hands of the one who does and trusts him the task of writing a reply which executed like the former example is liable to a similar style of interpretation if in addition the subject of the correspondence be a rather delicate topic if secret matters be treated of in it which it is desirable should not be understood by a third party in case the letter should go astray if with this view there be a positive intention of not expressing things quite clearly then however short a time the correspondence is kept up the parties invariably finish by understanding each other as well as the two schoolmen who had disputed for four hours upon abstract mutations not to take our simile from living beings lest we expose ourselves to have our ears boxed now the case of our two correspondents was exactly what we have described the first letter written in renzo's name contained many subjects primarily besides an account of the flight by far more concise but at the same time more confused than that which we have given was a relation of his actual circumstances from which both agnesi and her interpreter were far from deriving any lucid or tolerably correct idea then he spoke of secret intelligence change of name his being in safety but still requiring concealment things in themselves not very familiar to their understandings and related in the letter rather enigmatically then followed warm and impassioned inquiries about lucia's situation with dark and mournful hints of the rumours which had reached even his ears there were finally uncertain and distant hopes and plans in reference to the future and for the present promises and entreaties to keep their plighted faith not to lose patience or courage and to wait for better days some time passed away and agnesi found a trusty messenger to convey an answer to renzo with the fifty scudi assigned to him by lucia at the sight of so much gold he knew not what to think and with a mind agitated by wonder and suspense which left no room for gratification he set off in search of his amanuensis to make him interpret the letter and find the key to so strange a mystery 
Agnese's scribe, after lamenting in the letter the want of perspicuity in Renzo's epistle, went on to describe in a way at least quite as much to be lamented the tremendous history of that person, so he expressed himself, and here he accounted for the fifty scudi, then he went on to speak of the vow, employing much circumlocution in the expression of it, but adding, in more direct and explicit terms, the advice to set his heart at rest and think no more about it. Renzo very nearly quarrelled with the reader. He trembled, shuddered, became enraged with what he had understood, and with what he could not understand. Three or four times did he make him read over the melancholy writing, now comprehending better, now finding what had first appeared clear, more and more incomprehensible. And in this fervour of passion, he insisted upon his amanuensis immediately taking pen in hand and writing a reply. After the strongest expressions imaginable of pity and horror at Lucia's circumstances, write, he pursued, as he dictated to his secretary, that I won't set my heart at rest, and that I never will, and that this is not advice to be giving to a lad like me, and that I won't touch the money, that I'll put it by, and keep it for the young girl's dowry, that she already belongs to me, and that I know nothing about a vow, and that I have often heard say that the Madonna interests herself to help the afflicted, and obtains favours for them, but that she encourages them to despise and break their word I never heard, and that this vow can't hold good, and that with this money we have enough to keep house here, and that I am somewhat in difficulties now, it's only a storm which will quickly pass over, and other similar things. Agnese received this letter also, and replied to it and the correspondence continued in the manner we have described. End of chapter 27, part 1 Recording by Alan Mapstone in Oxford, England